Hello, I'm Sam Clement, and welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. This is a podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime and is entirely curated by guests on this show. Usually. Today is a bonus episode with returning guests Elizabeth Sankey and Jeremy Wormsley from Summer Camp. Elizabeth is also an actor and film director, and Jeremy is a kick ass composer, but most importantly, you are the first returning 90 Minutes or Less podcast guests. Oh, it's so good to be back. You guys came onto the show last year with Rob Reiner's film, This is Spinal Tap. Do you stand by that choice? Yeah. I mean, even more so now than ever before. I love that film so much and I heartily recommend it. It's just a perfect film. It is. It, I, it is absolutely perfect. What's wrong with being sexy? It's a joyous film. Since Final Tap, we've had another Christopher Guest movie on the show, Waiting for Guffman. So it's oh. been kind of fun developing our Christopher Guest strand. Waiting for Guffman is amazing. And Corky Sinclair is film. just such a fantastic character. Elizabeth, you've directed a feature film. Yes! Uh... The film is called Romantic Comedy and it's streaming now on Mubi, uh, Mubi. for the next 30 days. Uh, Mubi is a great word to say on mic. Mubi. <laughs> Just enjoying saying it, aren't you? It's a delight, it's a delight to be it's, a part of. It's really nice. It's, it's an honour. It's such an honour. Jeremy, you composed a score and the film features a host of new songs by Summer Camp. Yes. Yeah, it's just too much. Too much of us. Yeah, or just the right amount of us, you know. Too depending, much. Depending on, you know, how you feel about us, I guess. I got to see it in the cinema last year, had a great time, and I rewatched it Thank this week. You. I think there is exactly the right amount of you in it. And Aww. you know what? I wanted a bit more. Just a oh, little good. bit more. Oh, that's good. Well, you're getting it now. What more? <laughs> Which part? I was excited to hear that you guys were making a film and about the subject matter as well. It's a genre very close to my heart. But I was even more excited to see that the film is 78 minutes long. Yes. Wow. Yeah, well, when when I was making it, we were kind of having because obviously, like for festivals, there's a certain runtime that it has to be in order to be um, to be considered <clears throat> a, a feature. Yeah, and I can't remember what the I think is it over sixty or over seventy five. Anyway, I think it's different for different festivals. But I really wanted to get it as close to that runtime as possible and not go over because I just for me a short game's a good game. Like you just want to get in and out and keep it tight. And I'm like that when I'm editing as well. I like to have, don't like to linger on shots. Sometimes to the detriment, I think. In the second half of the film, there's a lot more long shots because, or like long clips, because um, my producers, one of whom is Jeremy, were like, yeah, you could have some longer sections, you know? And I was like, oh, wow, what a revelation. <laughs> <laughs> so there's like a really long bit from When Harry Met Sally, which was, the, I remember that was the first day that I was trying out this like new long clip idea. And I think it, it works. I just about get away with it. Because it was the first time either of us had made a, a feature film of our own. I mean, it was your film. You know, I, I was a producer on it, but it was the first time that either of us had done done it from that side rather than from being uh, composers or whatever. And uh, maybe we didn't know when we started it how long it was 
going to be based on the ideas that you know you wanted to put into it yeah didn't have like a firm grasp on that and then it was really very quite a joyous moment when you kind of finish it it's yeah, like, it was oh, such a relief yeah it, it's 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 neither way too long nor like not nearly long enough which yeah. was both definitely things that we were concerned about at different points during development there was a point in development where we were like how are we going to make this last yeah. 90 minutes and another point where we and were like how boring. are we going to keep it down to 90 you know under 90 minutes i don't know i would say that i don't know if there was ever a moment that we were worrying that it would be more than 90 minutes i think i was always more worried that i wouldn't have enough to say and then ended up feeling like i said everything i wanted to say but it was a mess like the whole like process of it which we can talk about later was so kind of all over the place that yeah there was a point where i was just like how the hell does someone do a long for like i'd never done anything that long in terms of like the form of it so that was quite overwhelming and something i only realized halfway through (laughs) that like most people make shorts first why am i making a feature what a weirdo So normally on the show, we like to read out the back of the DVD to explain what the film is about. But as we're joined by the filmmakers, could you tell the audience what is romantic comedy? So romantic comedy is an essay film made up of clips from 163 romantic comedies. I interviewed lots of people who are film critics, actors, documentarians themselves. And we just talk about the genre in terms of its history, in terms of where it's been and then where it could go but there's also lots of fun stuff talking about like how bizarre romantic comedies got especially in the 2000s and yeah my hopes I guess for uh, for what it could be in the future I think it's impossible to watch the film and not come out of it with a like a list as long as your arm of films that you want to go and see in full yeah I hope so I think that's a really nice thing about essay films is you either feel like oh my god I'd forgotten that film or whoa what was that and I hope in particular there's films in it that people haven't seen and want to go and watch because there's just so many brilliant romantic comedies that haven't had the exposure that they deserve do you remember when you first had this idea when you first spoke to Jeremy you know like I want to make a film it's going to be a feature film about romantic comedies we were on the way to a party and we'd had a conversation with our manager either that day or the day before and he'd said look if you want to do another album you can't just do, <laughs> I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was along the lines of like, you can't just do another set of boring songs about relationships. There needs to be like some sort of visual aspect. And so we were some thinking- Some sort of overarching yeah, conceptual, conceptual reason for it to exist thing. that people can talk about when they're talking about the, the album. Yeah. And so then I was in the car and I was like, I'd always wanted to do something about romantic comedies. And I at some point thought that maybe I would do like a one woman show, which would have been really bad. And then I said to Jeremy, like, no, we should make a film. And we were, when you knew that Charlie Shackleton, who we'd worked with on Beyond Clueless, was going to be at the party. So it was my friend's birthday party. And I was like, literally, like, hi, Barney, pushed him out of the way, like, made a beeline for Charlie and was like, can I make an essay film that just does what you did with Beyond Clueless, but with romantic comedies? And he was like, yeah, sure, go for it. So I remember <laughs> it really clearly. Is romantic comedy your go-to film genre is this something that you guys watch a lot of or or is it just something you were actually kind of curious about because you didn't really understand what all the fuss was about for me it was always my go-to genre like that I guess in teen films but the older I got the more I was kind of obsessed with rom-coms and then I realized that I had kind of been 
very, very heavily influenced by them in terms of how I responded in relationships and how I behaved in relationships and how I thought that relationships should go and how women should be in relationships. And then when I got married to Jeremy, I went back and watched one. I remember really clearly I went back and watched Runaway Bride and I was just watching it. I was thinking, why are they, which is a Julia Roberts film, if you haven't seen it, where she's terrified of getting married. So she's always running away from her weddings. But I just remember thinking, why does nobody ever say to her, hey, why don't you just not get married? Like, why do you always have to have a wedding? And I just thought that was so bizarre. And then once I'd realized that, I kind of saw all these other things about them, which were really strange and I didn't feel comfortable about. But also, I mean, you could say that of culture in general. But yeah, for me, it was, they were definitely like my, I love them so much. Um, And I think a lot of women feel like that. Jeremy, though. I really like romantic comedies, but... They're not the film that I like instinctively go to when I'm like, oh, I want to watch a film. You haven't seen most of the films. I haven't, uh, you know, I've maybe seen less than a fifth of the films that are in your film. But it was always supposed to be, you know, your personal journey through romantic comedies with your interviews with all these other contributors. My my insight on romantic comedies is, in in a way, the less I knew about it, the better, because it meant I could be an objective outside opinion and sometimes you would use a film and I would say look I don't know this film I don't know what it's supposed to represent here and it, it's not yeah doing and then the you're a really of... good objective kind of critique yeah yeah exactly but I think it's that's quite interesting Sam because I know you love rom-coms and I think you're quite unusual in terms of like men loving the genre I think that doesn't happen as much I think most men I know are much more like Jeremy and I think yeah I, 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 that... I really enjoy rom-coms I'm just not like Whenever I watch them, I mean, you know, we often yeah, do, but I'm just not like drawn to them as like my Totally, but I think that's partly because they're not aimed at men. They're the only genre that's aimed directly at women. And so I think it's understandable that men would be like, well, that's not really for me. But the irony is that women have to watch all of the stuff that isn't for them in inverted commas or like don't have all these genres directed at them. You know, I love action movies as well, but I know that they're not kind of films that are considered whether they're they're considering like "Hmm, how will women feel about the portrayal of you know this bond girl so yeah it's i find it really interesting that um men get the the choice and the privilege to be like yeah that's not for me because they're so catered to by like every other genre of film Mm -hmm. and i mean obviously women don't just love things that are like female and directed at them um and you obviously sam are Oh, an example of that happening kind of on on the flip side. I mean, what makes you like rom-coms? They're made in such a way where they're very easy to watch because even though they might have a heavy theme, you know, might start with some light comedy before the romance starts. Mm. So I think they're very easy. It's very easy to sort of watch the first five minutes of a good rom-com and end up watching the whole movie Mm. and being absolutely glued to the screen. I like that rom-coms do that more so than other genres. I also, you know, I I, I love comedy. I really appreciate comedy. And what's better than a comedy where there's like some love in there as well? Who can't relate to that? It's sort of a genre where if it's done well, you know you're going to feel good at the end of that film. Do you find them emotional as well? Do you kind of get moved by them? Yeah, I do, but not all the time. I guess mm. it has to be, it depends on the film. I find myself, if it's like big family moments, like, oh, he's mm. won his girlfriend back or his wife back or his, you know, whatever, or, or if it's a, 
you know, like Cameron Diaz in The Holiday, she can't cry, but then she finds the right guy and she can cry again. Hooray! <laughs> and then I'm crying in the audience, you know. Yeah. And it's absurd when you say it out loud like that. But in the moment, it feels, you know, like it's the most important thing in the world. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I do. I, you know, I, I, I have had emotional responses. And I kind of like that as well. I love going to the cinema and being moved by what I'm watching. Yeah, and it's such a wonderful way as well of being moved because as you say, you know that it's always going to be, you're always going to leave feeling elated and have this kind of cathartic feeling of, wow, I, for a moment, I thought it was all lost, even though you knew it wasn't lost and you knew that Cameron was going to like catch up with Jude (laughs) when he opens the door and he's like crying, but you (laughs) always knew that, you know, that's going to happen, but it's kind of like a really safe space to kind of explore that feeling and I don't know I can't really think of I guess horror does this as well and I guess in general like big genre films do this but it's quite rare to have films that just deal with human emotions and human relationships and kind of try and elicit or like recreate like those very powerful feelings that you have when you're falling in love and you know worried that it's not going to work out I think that's why I find them so fascinating because they're so primal and they tap into like something that desire that so many of us I think all of us want in some degree or in some way and I think that's why I find them just so yeah exciting maybe it'd be better if we started at the beginning and that most mythologized and beguiling of all places the suburban teenage girl's bedroom Mine looked a lot like this. And it was here amongst the training bras, hair mascara, and intense boredom that my obsession with romantic comedies began. They eased my fear of being alone forever as they promised me that one day I too could have a fulfilling romantic life. Just as long as I followed the rules. This is an essay film. 163 different films made it into this movie yeah how did you how did you come up with that list and 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 how do you whittle that into a 78 minute long film at the end of it I did a lot of reading but also I just I feel like I have quite an encyclopedic knowledge of rom-coms of a certain period from 80s to kind of the late 2010s I guess so I just would remember and also you just spark like oh what else has Cameron Diaz been in but also then I wanted to find the rom-coms that I hadn't watched maybe because they weren't aimed at somebody like me so then I started looking for like the rom-coms that I hadn't seen like I hadn't seen how Stella got her groove back which is amazing there's another film called Just Right which I also hadn't seen and that's because to be honest they don't feature people who look like me because they feature people of color so they hadn't been marketed at you they so hadn't, you hadn't been marketed of, at me but also you hadn't become aware of them as a when you're at that age where... sure but i also feel like you know there was a sort of at some level there was like a, a kind of slightly racist attitude i had which i think mm. we all probably have to some extent where i was like oh that's not for me you know just in the way i was saying like men maybe wouldn't watch rom-coms because they think it's not for them and it's such a shame that i hadn't watched them because I really love them they're like now two of my favorites I then wanted to look at look at kind of yeah rom-coms that I maybe maybe feature like queer stories or just worlds that I haven't come from and so therefore haven't thought were relevant to me but actually are super relevant and super brilliant and deserve lots of attention and praise 
What was the first clip you knew absolutely had to be in the film? Well, I knew that I wanted to do a big montage of all of the declarations of love. And so I think I knew that I wanted to have Julia Roberts saying, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. And to me, that is so emotional. (laughs) But it quite often gets a laugh in the in the film in the cinema and I think the reason it gets a laugh is because it's almost like to be or not to be in terms of Shakespeare it's like it people just know it too well that it's just it's impossible to take it seriously Mm. so yeah so I knew and I knew I wanted that uh I wanted to have someone Harry Met Sally clips in there and I love their declaration his declaration of love to her I think is so lovely the film is linked together, all of these amazing clips, uh, which have been expertly sort of curated and, and, and assembled, with a voiceover, as you mentioned, from contributors, from your interviews, and this amazing soundtrack by Jeremy. The soundtrack isn't typically what people maybe think of when they think of rom-com. How did you sort of interpret, you know, what was going on on screen, Jeremy, and, and come up with the score? It's funny because, as Elizabeth mentioned, originally we had some songs that were going to be in an, on an album, and then our guy, our manager at the time, said, you know, find a concept and, and build a world around it. And so um, we knew that we wanted to put some of these songs in the film because that's kind of why we had started this thing in the first place, although obviously it took on a life of its own very quickly after that. So we had kind of a starting point from these songs, and I would say actually the songs probably skew slightly more towards what someone's idea of a rom-com might sound like you know they're they're kind of pretty pop songs there's a lot of strings they're quite retro sounding i hate the word retro vintage sounding (laughs) originally that was kind of my cue for this for the soundtrack i think the very first thing i delivered to elizabeth that wasn't a song that we'd already written was you know quite stringy and sort of conventionally pretty and almost kind of you know, jingly in places. And Elizabeth was immediately like, I hate it. It sounds too much like a rom-com. Um, so that was my first, my first direction from the director was uh, don't, don't make it sound like a, rom- like a rom-com. And then there was this um, quite arduous and involved process where uh, I was, you know, trying to step out and just having them slapped down by this brutal director with uh, an, an iron heart. But then eventually we found this, this world that seemed, seemed to work. It was very, uh, kind of natural in- real instruments no synthesizers trying i guess trying to do the sort of dreamy score that normally you would probably go to a synthesizer for everything's quite floaty and beautiful and detached which i think kind of works to sort of speak with the narration um it definitely feels like the score is in the same world as the narrator rather than being in there with the films what you're seeing on screen and i think a really good example of that um is is a bit where we sort of reinterpret a well-known rom-com as actually being it's, it's quite early in the film when we're still just kind of exploring the idiosyncrasies of the films rather than kind of really understanding why they are the, the way they are and it's it's just kind of ex- showing that these films can be quite weird and it's reinterpreting a, a well-known rom-com as a horror film basically so the the soundtrack becomes almost a, a horror soundtrack and that was uh, I mean that was all Elizabeth's idea but it was it was a really fun thing to interpret I really wanted it not to sound like a rom-com but to sort of take those clips and make it feel like you're watching a brand new film. So you're not just kind of watching a compilation, you're watching something that has been, as you very kindly said, like recurated. Mm. Um, and so it's a brand new, like original 
um, piece of work. It's not something where you're like, oh, yeah, is, could this be the soundtrack to the holiday? Mm. Uh, let's just talk about the holiday for yeah. the rest of the month. But one, once we had the um, once we had that first cue, I remember the rest of it. Like, I don't think yeah, we had any, really any problems. Quickly. Everything else was like first first time we, we got it. And then I was sad because I hadn't really thought about the music, which says terrible things about me. And I was like, oh, I wish there were more places for music because I wish I'd left more places because I just mm. love Jeremy's score so much. But we again, we had a bit of a jumping off point because we had these songs that we knew we wanted to mm. use in the film if we could. So a lot of the places where the music might have come to the fore on another film, you know, instead of being school, we had a song that we had written yeah. together. So yeah. I'm a big fan of, uh, I don't know if anyone uh, listening to this podcast is, is a film music fan, but there's this technique called, it's very pretentious, leitmotif. Uh, which was originally originated by Wagner, the opera composer, but most famously used by John Williams in the Star Wars films. So every time you see Luke Skywalker, you hear da, 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 da. and every time you see Darth Vader, you hear you know his yeah exactly. So I want I, I really I really like using that technique in my films that I score when I can when I can get away with it uh, or when it makes sense for the film. Where yeah. you you have you have themes that represent a concept or a character or whatever and you, and you reuse them. So I. I, what I did is I took motifs from the songs we had written, melodic ones, and and used this. It's getting very boring and dry. No, and no. and used them in various different places. We had a song that was just about like being overcome by emotion of love. So that was the the theme that I used in the declaration of love sequence, for instance. Um, and then there's another theme about like men being little shitbags. Uh, excuse my excuse my French. And so anytime a man was being a shitbag on screen, and and I could, I, I would just throw in a bit of that theme just to try and cement the idea that. You know what you're watching here is something that has actually been put together with some thought behind it. We're not just like throwing throwing clips at you willy nilly. I think it, like, it does feel like it's one piece. Um, it oh, feels like good. a score. Even even working the songs in, it doesn't feel like we're stopping the score now to play you a song. <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you don't you don't hear the cassette going in and someone pressing play. It just naturally flows in. Oh, um, thank you, Sam. Uh, that's so nice. I think that makes it such a great film. You know, that's why it's a feature film. You know. Oh, God, you can nice. you can come again. <laughs> that's what I think my mum would say. <laughs> Hello, I'm Martin Zotzorski. And I'm Sam Hay. And together we make a podcast called Song, Song by Song. Song. But we don't do it alone. Almost every week we have a guest. And we've had some wonderful guests, including writers John Ronson. John Hodgman, Simon Stevens, we've had uh, musicians Eliza Rickman, uh, Jenny Conley Drizos from The Decemberists, and Jeremy Wormsley and Elizabeth Sankey from Summer Camp. Uh, we've had podcasters Jenny Owen Youngs, Jeffrey Craner, and Phoebe Judge. All sorts of people join us to talk about the music of Tom Waits. And if that sounds fun, why don't you join us too? You can do that at our website, songbysongpodcast.com, or search for Song by Song wherever you get your podcasts. When the songs come in, it's often sort of like a montage of various sort of rom-com tropes, which you sort of alluded to. Was that kind of fun editing those together with that song in mind? Yeah, really fun. And it was it was actually quite an easy edit in terms of like preparing clips for then building the film, because I would just watch them and rom-coms have such a kind of <laughs> similar arc, like all of them follow a very similar narrative and have very similar moments in them so I had just like this huge folder of like weddings then I had this huge folder or like clips of weddings from the films and like a huge folder of like kissing and then a huge folder of you know fights and like crying and you're building these moments out of like really well-produced 
films that look fantastic have like great performances have been lit really well have good dops so you've just got this just kind of yeah you've got this fantastic resource so that was really fun and then like i i always we i've kind of made kind of bad music videos or like archive music videos for our band i've done that a few times over the years and it's always my favorite thing to try and like get timings right so then you kind of have like cuts happen on the beat and things like that that's something that i find really satisfying <laughs> so i got to do that a lot but with like you know hugh grant so yeah it was great you've got a great cast of contributors as well who you interviewed for the film and we hear their voiceover alongside your own voiceover maybe talking about their own experiences with the genre how did you pitch this out to them you've got amazing people like Simran Hans, Laura Snapes, Charlie Shackleton who you mentioned, uh, Ellie McDowell, Jessica Barden and then I guess also you have to make sure that fits into the movie. So I wanted to do the interviews before I started editing anything I just basically had no money but I knew that I had a contact with some really smart people who knew more either about film than me or about romantic comedies than me or about like commentating on culture. The people that said yes were really kind and great. And I'm really chuffed with like the diversity, I guess I got in terms of their opinions and their experiences. Cause it was really important to me, as I said, you know, I'm a white woman, I'm straight, I'm married. I have a very like traditional kind of relationship to like heteronormative romance and love so I wanted to have different people from different backgrounds who could share their experiences of what it was like to watch these films. And do you remember how you felt before your first screening of this? It was very kind of overwhelming an experience because as I said earlier I didn't really know before I began like what I was getting myself into and then sort of fell in love with the process of making the film and in general of like making films and realizing that I wanted to do more of that and that's kind of what I wanted to do with my life so it was very emotional at times I remember our before our first screening we did one at Channel 4 David Cox really kindly if anyone knows David Cox at Channel 4 you will know how much of a mensch that man is but he let us do a <laughs> screening there for friends and family I remember, I remember this is such a disgusting detail potentially but also not so deal with it Sam I got my period like two weeks early because I was just so stressed and like freaked out about it and I remember we went to Dishoom beforehand and I had a migraine as well like just my body was just like what the hell is going on That's, you must have been terrified yeah well and then I remember just sitting in the audience and us all being relieved because people were laughing. Yeah, yeah. I, um, that's what I remember the most is yeah. that there's some jokes like really early on and I was like, if no one laughs, this is going to be an arduous experience and people were laughing right from the, the get-go. So it yeah. was a, a good sign. And so just you you're just watching it to make sure you haven't left in any weird cuts and stuff. Mm. But then we did the proper, proper screening was at IFFR and um, it was a Saturday night and it sold out. And Barra Boyer, who's the like head of the head of the Rotterdam head of the Rotterdam festival. festival, like came and introduced it. That was like probably one of the best days of my life. That was we we you know you made this in a vacuum, we, and not having made a film before, you know, you don't know, you haven't got anything to compare it to. I, yeah. I, I knew it was good and interesting, but I've I'm not a, I'm not a filmmaker really, so yeah. I didn't really trust my own opinion on it. Other than that, you know, I believed in you and I thought it was good, but it wasn't until festivals started watching it and saying oh yeah we like it we want you to come and mm. you know exhibit it at our festival i was like oh wow you've you've actually made something that yeah people who aren't me think is good while you were sleeping i mean that's quite a good horror movie title already does she have a cat or not even a, like just pictures of a cat 
and she's just always in that little booth in the train station, not really talking to anyone. She's obsessed with him, but she's never, ever talked to him. And she goes to the hospital and they won't let her in to see him, completely justified. But she lies and says that she's his fiance. And then his family show up and she feels it's normal to lie to them as well and just insinuates herself into his life. Last year, you got to take the film out on the road to a number of festivals. Uh, what was that? You, know, you guys have toured, of course, the summer camp. But what's it like traveling around film festivals with a, with a movie? Oh, my God, it's amazing. It's so much better than the music industry. The kind of way that you're treated, especially as a woman, is so incredibly different with the film industry compared to the music industry. The incredible thing as well about going to film festivals is you've done all your work. So you're just there. You have to show up to your screenings, which is a joy, and do Q&As, but that's it. Whereas with film, you've with music rather, you've got to like take all your gear and you've got to like hope people turn up and like it, the venue might not be that nice and people just might not care. And if you, you might... break a string during the first song, you yes, know, that kind of thing. It's really stressful and it's late night. And it's really expensive it's to, really, to do a gig. You've got really to pay, you've got to get there, you've got to pay your crew. You basically have to pay your own, to, to tour your own stuff. So um, it was absolutely incredible. I think we were really spoiled for like our first ever festival run. I can't imagine that we will ever have with any other films that we make. I cannot imagine that it will ever be as good as that was. People are just so kind and respectful. Like, And just, there's so many brilliant festivals and they care about, being inclusive like that's something that music festivals just do not care about they don't care about having like people of color or like women represented on their band by the bands on their stages like that's just not something they at all consider which is appalling and disgusting whereas film festivals you know Sheffield Dockfest had more female filmmakers than it had male uh, filmmakers that was a very, very eye-opening experience in terms of like how it feels to be treated as a creative person who, in an industry that maybe is a lot more thoughtful and a lot more welcoming, it was it was wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's it is interesting to think about the differences. I mean, there is like you know, the way that we made this film was such that it didn't you know we didn't have any outlay other than to buy the the, the Blu-rays and the DVDs and to, mm. for you to get a laptop to to edit on. You know, and I, you know, I was able to mix it in my home studio, which is another outlay that, you know, most people would have had to, and the, the recording and stuff we were able to do ourselves. But we we had this amazing thing. Like you said, we were able to make something that looked a certain way mm. and felt a certain way because of the, the constituent parts were already so well made, which, you know, I think most people would struggle to just because it's hard to make something that looks good, isn't it? Mm. Whereas like in a band, I feel like, you know, it's a lot easier to get a band off the ground in a way. And that's mm. what, and I think maybe that's like why the music industry is so much more unfeeling and uncaring because there's just this barrage of product coming. You know, people in the music industry, if you work, you're getting demos like from aspiring bands, you know, piled up on your desk and you know, it's easier to throw them away than it is to listen mm. to them. And I, whereas in the film industry to actually make a finished product that's watchable, is a, it takes a, a, you know, much more considered or, I don't know, lucky or privileged set of circumstances. Yeah. Um, I guess what I'm saying is that they're different. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Do you have a favourite song to perform from the film, from the film soundtrack? I really love Women in Love. That's my favourite of our 
films of our songs for this album. Oh, that's a nice one. Yeah. I really like doing a song called The Ugly Truth because we sing it as a duet yeah. and I get to do a rocking guitar solo. Yeah, that's Jeremy likes a guitar solo. <laughs> <laughs> if it's okay, could we put that song at the end of this podcast? Yeah, oh, course, please, yeah. yeah. Let the listeners hear it as well before they see the movie? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Romantic comedy is in the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival. You're the first participants who've got two movies. Uh, You've got two horses in this race, guys. We're going to have This Is Final Tap on one stage in one screen. And then in another screen, we're going to run over to see romantic comedy. You've been to a few film festivals. You've been to a few screenings of this. But what is in your brain? What is the optimum way for people to watch this film? If you could do anything with a cinema. I love like Netflix making romantic comedies. But I think it's really important that they're shown in cinemas because I think it's like a communal experience but I would maybe want like a female only screening or something which might be a bit controversial but I just I feel like they are films that I love to watch with other women Sam you can come to maybe no do you know what maybe it's like you have to have proven that you like know a certain amount of no this is terrible from com gatekeeping <laughs> what's what's Sally's describe surname? Nancy Meyer's kitchen um, <laughs> big it's big and white um, no I think uh, I think I would just want it to be yeah like a big communal experience and I would very much welcome a lot of women um, being in that space with me was there anything you'd add to the screening, Jeremy? I was just thinking how, uh, just like the bigger the audience, the better, because I find the more people, the more people get into it. For some, that's what we found in every. So like a fifty thousand, like Shea Stadium. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but this has to be at Shea Stadium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I think everyone at, who wants one can have a couple of beers while they're watching it, and like just like really get loosey goosey and have a good time. You can have a couple of beers. And women getting cheaper. This is a terrible <laughs> idea. Oh, God. We're cancelled, aren't we? Yeah, we might be. If you could invite one special guest to the screening, um, who would that be? Nora Efron. But unfortunately, that's not possible. I would invite Nancy Myers, I think. I would love to meet Nancy Myers. I'd also invite Rob Reiner. I'd love to meet Rob Reiner. I think like having Nancy Myers and Rob Reiner on stage just talking about rom-coms we could do it as a Q&A afterwards yeah. I don't know who would ask the Q's and who would ask the A's you can ask I think you could ask the Q's and A's because I think you you could really hold your own with Nancy I'd love to see that you and Nancy like going at it and I'll ask <laughs> I'll ask Rob the Q's <laughs> and then we can have Spinal Tap as well as like a we can chat a little bit yeah he's got yeah because he's got two films there so yeah. we could do Double Bill yeah 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 that would be good. As a festival producer, it'd be good for us because it's just one plane ticket then and it's a guest for two movies. Uh, that's handy. <laughs> okay, this is a good lineup. So on stage after the film, we'll have uh, Elizabeth, Jeremy, Nancy Myers and Rob Reiner uh, yeah. in conversation and I'll, I'll, rec- I'll host it and it'll be, uh, it'll be a fun time. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> a question we'd like to ask everybody about the films they've picked. Could this film or should this film be longer than 90 minutes? Mm. Absolutely not. no i don't think so it wasn't like we were cut you know we were cutting stuff out to get it down down to size yeah i i think it there are moments i think it drags anyway (laughs) 
Yeah, and you have seen it, it over a hundred times yeah, now, true. probably. Yeah. No, I think uh, especially with essay films, I think it's a lot of information. Uh, I feel like Jeremy's mum, after she watched it, was like, "I need, I can't really take it all in." Like, I think there's a lot going on. So yeah, I think just keep it nice and tight. Yeah. Well, there we have it. Romantic comedy is in the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival. Oh, Woo-hoo! that's the best film festival we've been in. Now, listeners, if you cannot wait to the Shea Stadium screening of <laughs> Romantic Comedy, the film is available to watch now on Mubi. It's available on Mubi for the next 30 days. Where can people go if they're listening to this after the Mubi window has passed? Is there a website or a social media handle they should follow for more news on the film? Uh, on Twitter, it's at RomComMovie. And it's the same on Instagram and we'll post everything about where it will be available after the 30 days. And we should say it's only on Mubi in the UK. Yeah. If you're in North America, it's on sort of everywhere, like iTunes yeah, or YouTube or whatever. But I'll tell you, something else we did is we recorded a filmmaker's commentary. That yeah. Put, that's on SoundCloud. So if you enjoy the film... So yeah, if you if there's not enough of us, Sam, yeah, as you, like said, you were saying, you could also listen to us talking over the film <laughs> that we made and scored. Oh dear. There's a good bit about a, a cat's meow in, in, in it in the commentary. Oh, there is, yeah. And I know there's been a cat meowing a little bit through this podcast, so I feel like you'd appreciate that. <laughs> I'm going to go and listen to it now. I didn't know, I genuinely didn't know about that, so I'll, I'll check it out. We'll put a link to it in the show notes as well, listeners. Oh, great. Thank you. So the film's on Mubi, but you also have a soundtrack. You've released uh, the, an album of songs and score from the film, uh, yeah. which is available on a very lovely vinyl at the moment and yes. to listen to on Spotify. I guess the soundtrack coming out, is that sort of the end of the romantic comedy journey for you guys? Possibly. Come to the... We might do another live score. Yeah. Well, fact, we've got a li- another live point. score booked, but I mean, in October. So that's definitely happening. That's definitely going <laughs> to happen. In Leeds. In Leeds. And maybe we'll do some more of those yeah. around then. You never know. You never no, know. Well, thank you very much for talking to us during lockdown, guys. Thank it's you so really much for nice having us. It's really nice to see your faces and to hear your voices. A big thank you to Elizabeth Sankey and Jeremy Wormsley, and thank you for listening. Subscribe to the show on your podcatcher of choice, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. As an independent podcast, it really helps. We're also available on 90minfilmfest.com. That's 90minfilmfest.com. You can contact us there, or on Twitter and Instagram at 90minfilmfest. We also have a competition on the 90 Min Film Fest right now. If you're listening to this episode as it goes out, please follow us for a chance to win a copy of the beautiful vinyl for romantic comedy and an annual subscription to Mubi, a year of free films in your home by following our Twitter feed. And we have details there. The show was produced by Louise Owen and me, Sam Clements. The show is edited by Louise Owen with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. We are a proud member of the Stripped Media Network. And to play us out, The Ugly Truth by Summer Camp has featured in Romantic Comedy.
member of the Stripped Media Network.